0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in.
1: If you would now open your Bibles, if you haven't already, some of you already have them open. Awesome. Stand with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 This is the last of um, the chapter we're going to focus on. Liam and I were talking this morning. It's like, wow, we spent like a month in this chapter. And I am looking forward to chapter 8. So um, (laughs) chapter 7, the Lord has been really good and uh, has spoken to our hearts through. But yeah, looking forward to even next week. But excited to see what he has for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 25. It says, now concerning virgins... I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away." But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married, or or did I say unmarried? Yeah, unmarried. And then verse 33 but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of this world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if he must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage as well and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I've also have the spirit of God. You may be seated. British missionary C.T. Studd, awesome name, by the way, (laughs) famously said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let those words sink in for a moment. You only have one life. It'll soon be over. And only what you do for Christ in this life, that is what will last. Those are some powerful and convicting words. I know they are for me. Living for the Lord today. The goal in the life of every believer is to bring honor and glory to Jesus. We are not created, we were not created to live for our own pleasures, our own desires, our own purposes But again, like we said last week, when Jesus saved you, when he came into your life, he desires to truly transform your life and use you and use me for his glory. Amen? And as we've been seeing, though, in our study, the church in Corinth has mixed views on what it meant to live for the Lord, what it meant to bring him honor, what it meant to be righteous. And for many, they sought to leave certain lifestyles under the impression that it would make them more righteous before God. And the church, as we've been saying, has been very confused. No doubt this church had its own issues and struggles as they figured out what it meant to live for the Lord in the pagan culture that they lived in. And again, it's the same for you and I here this morning. We're all trying to live for Jesus in a culture that is completely anti-God. But the question that we have to settle is, what is life really about? What is our purpose? How are we, as followers of Jesus, supposed to live our lives, conduct our lives, And this morning, we're going to jump right in, but I want to first pose this question to you. What are we seeking? What are we seeking? Let's look at verse 25. Let's just dive right in. Now concerning virgins, he says, I have no command of the Lord. But I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. Again, he's using his apostolic authority. Jesus didn't really talk concerning these matters. But again, Paul is uh, writing, he's responding to the Corinthians, to this church in Corinth, about some specific questions that they had for him. And here in chapter 7, he has written to them about marriage, about singleness, about celibacy, and about divorce, and even remarriage. And they had asked, you know, hey, is being single, like, superior to being married? Or is a person considered a second-class citizen if he or she is single? And the Corinthian church had a particular false teaching happening in their church. There, There were some who taught that by being single and remaining celibate was more spiritual and more holy, and those who were married and, they were, and who were physically intimate with their spouse, they were less spiritual, they were less holy. And their conclusion was, well, everyone should become single and celibate as quickly as possible. So if you're married, divorce. If you're dating someone, break it off. If you're single, stay that way. And what we've seen in this chapter is that the Apostle Paul doesn't um, deprecate being single and remaining single. In fact, he actually exalts it. He exalts it, and his conclusion is that celibacy is desirable, but it's not demanded. Marriage is good, but celibacy is better under certain circumstances if a person, as we've looked at, has that gift, that gift that we saw, that gift of grace to remain single and be single. And so now in this section, he's addressing the virgins. Those are those who are single. They've never been married, never been physically intimate with anyone. And here he's just laying out some wisdom. Isn't that great? Aren't we in need of wisdom sometimes? And that's what he's doing for this church at this culture was laying out wisdom from, a, from Pastor Paul. He says in verse 26, he says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, there's mixed um, opinions amongst commentators and Bible scholars on what the present distress is and what was going on in the culture there in Corinth. uh, Corinth, I should say. Um, Was it potential persecution? Here's what Paul's not referring to about the, he's not talking about the ups and downs the general ups and downs in life that we all face. He's not talking about those crises, right? I, hey, I lost a job and oh man, or, or I wrecked the car or something like that. But rather in my opinion, he's referring to persecution, perhaps future persecution that he saw coming to them. We know from Acts 18 that the city of Corinth was antagonistic towards believers And maybe for Paul, there was a sense that, hey, things are are, are on the horizon. They're going to become, they're bad right now, but they're going to become worse in just a little bit of time. We kind of see that in our culture, like things are bad, but they're going to probably become worse. Maybe Paul is referring to even his speaking from his own experience. He's been beaten. He's been thrown out of cities. And perhaps that he felt that this was just the, the starting point, that the church was going to be facing the same type that he has faced. It was going to start spreading fast. And we know from history that persecution was unleashed under Nero, which soon happened after actually Paul wrote this. And Nero was brutal, he was a bad dude what we find out is there was there's a situation uh, there was a fire that broke out in Rome he blamed the Christians for it and uh, he took Christians the believers had them sewn in animal skins and then he had the animal skins with the bodies inside of them with live Christians like still living and he threw them like in lion's pits that's how brutal this guy was and the lions you know they 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 you know they they see this and they're smelling like the animal content they rip open the skins and just killed destroyed brutally just yeah killed those who followed Jesus that was nero and so paul knew that the days of corinth were hard ones for those who were trying to follow in the ways of Jesus Persecution, if it wasn't here yet, it was coming. And so he says, in light of all of that, it is good for a man to remain as he is. If one is single, stay single. If you're married, he says, you better stay married. Again, he's simply reiterating what he's already shared. We've already looked in detail earlier in this chapter that, again, if you're married, you're obligated, you're commissioned to honor that covenant that you made to your spouse before the Lord. Stay there. If you're not married, like, or if you are married, don't get divorced. If you're not married, don't get married. That's what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. And the point that, again, Paul was making is that in times of crises, single life has its advantages. If you're single. You can be more flexible. You can adapt more quickly to certain and sudden catastrophic events. If you need to like get out of town, like you're only packing one bag. Like I have, I have three children in the home right now and a wife. I'm like, that would take a long time. It's like, oh, how about this? And oh, we can't leave this. And my Pokemon cards and or whatever, you know, like all of these things. And it's like. <laughs> I got, I can't, you know, but if I was just me, I'm like, dude, I got my backpack. I got a chain, one change of clothes and a cliff bar. And like, I'm out the door. Like, you know, he's just saying it's like being single has its advantages. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? He continues. He says, don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Again, under these current pressures of of a major crisis, Paul's just saying in wisdom, stay single. But if you're married, serve and protect your family. Again, like we looked at last week, don't seek to change your current situation. Whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, like we looked at last week, be all there and be all in wherever God has you. You don't have to seek the new job, you don't have to seek the new home, you don't have to seek that new city to live in, you don't have to seek for even a spouse. Just to be all there, be all in. And so I want to ask you one more time this morning, what are you seeking? Just in life, think about it. What are you seeking? That word seek in the Greek is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 6.33 where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said seek after him to seek after to strive after him above all else. You know some people we strive after so many different things. Some live their lives striving to find that perfect spouse. Others are striving to leave one. Like that's the that's what Paul is referring to here. But for followers of Jesus our goal is to seek first above everything else his kingdom, his righteousness. And as we're seeking the Lord first in our lives, everything else, this is, this is Jesus' whole point here in Matthew 6, everything else will fall into place. God will meet you there. Whatever your need is, God will meet you there. As you and I, we pursue the Lord above every, everything else, the Bible says, everything else will be added unto you. So let me ask you again, what are you seeking? What are you seeking after? What is it that keeps you awake at night? Just pondering, thinking, stressing about, like, I need this, or I need this promotion. Your mind is just constantly going and going and going. And for some of you this morning, maybe you are in a place where you're seeking a spouse. Like, you really want to find one. Please listen to my heart this morning. If that's you, like, don't be desperate. And I know that's hard to like hear from like a married guy. I shared last week, I got married at 18 and you're like single, you've been waiting for a spouse, you're like, easy for you to say. (laughs) My wife and I, we did young adult ministry for many years and during that time we counseled many young adults who were not married, many of which were very desperate, like, I have to get married. (laughs) It's like, no, you don't. Like, calm down. All my friends are getting married. I've got to find the one. Listen, seek first. This was the counsel. Seek Jesus right now in this season of your life. Those things will be taken care of. Again, we we would share, I would share with the guys, and Mary would share with the girls. Girls, the right guy doesn't like a desperate girl. And the right girl, guys, doesn't like a desperate guy. And the truth is this. If you're following Jesus with your whole heart, you're not going to be desperate for anything other than him. And if you're seeking him above everything else, then he adds all these things to you. Listen, this morning, for those of you that are not married, or maybe you are married, marriage is a big deal. We've been hearing that this chapter. It's a huge deal. And you don't want, for you single people, you don't want to head down that path unless the Lord has clearly shown it to you. You see, here's the thing. Some people rush into marriage and they make the biggest mistakes of their lives and they live with the consequences. After following Jesus, the person you marry is the second most important decision of your life. And if you're single this morning, go slow. Pray. As you seek the Lord, as you follow the path that he has laid out for you, again, he will supply all your needs. So the call this morning from Pastor Paul is don't seek a spouse in whatever situation you are in. First, first seek the Lord. And in doing that, he'll take care of everything else in your life. Now, I do want to say this. I want to add this before I move on. Some people believe that God is completely checked out when it comes to their relationships. And I just want to say this. God is very concerned with every detail of your life. Even the smallest things in your life that other people might consider insignificant, God sees as significant. And he wants to meet you and minister to you in those areas. God is concerned about your whole life. He cares for you. And and this is the truth. If he would care so much to know the number of hairs on your head, he would know, I think he's got everything else figured out. I think he would know who maybe the Lord he would have for you as a future spouse. The call is to seek him. Seek him first above anything. Verse 28, but he says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Now, the only time that it is sin for a Christian to get married, okay, there's two times. One, if God says, don't do it, and you do it, that's a sin, (laughs) number one. The second time is is when a Christian marries a non-Christian, an unbeliever. That's the only time that that would be sin, but here Paul he feels it, felt it necessary to address his audience in a very clear manner by saying, hey, if someone does choose to get married, this they're not in sin. This is not a sin. He's already communicated to them that it's good. He says even if singleness provides certain advantages, marriage is still a good and beautiful thing. I think of Paul like addressing Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 4, people, and he was like, hey, be on the lookout, be on the alert. People are infiltrating the church, forbidding those to get married. He says, be careful of these people. And so he's not saying that getting married is a sin. He's not saying that it's less spiritual or less holy or makes you less righteous. But again, the heart that Paul is trying to communicate to the church is to seek the Lord first above anything and above everything. He says at the end of that verse, yet such will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. He's saying you you would have trouble. In the Greek, this word is, is, is translated as pressure, a weightiness, if you will a pressure in regards to taking care of your spouse. Because when you become one with your spouse through marriage, there's an obligation, there's responsibility that comes with it. And his point is this, when you get married, you have this pressure to care for your spouse and your family because your life has changed. You're no longer single. And if you don't have that spouse, you don't have that type of pressure and responsibility. And marriage, listen to this, for those of you that are married, you understand what I'm going to say, is marriage is never easy even under the best of circumstances. And in his context, Paul is giving wisdom in light of the distress that he saw coming in his culture, in his day. So what are we seeking? What are we going for? Are you getting sidetracked? and Am I getting sidetracked by different things when the call of the believer is to simply seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first the Lord. The Bible tells us we're not to be consumed with the things of this world. We're, to be, we're blessed by the things the Lord has given us, but again, as his followers, we're to pursue him above everything else, which leads to the second question that I have for us. Um, how are we spending our time I'm a, like I said last week, I'm a very simple guy. Like, what are you seeking? How are we spending our time? Look at verse 29. But I, this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. So the first reason Paul lays out on why it would be better for someone to remain single is because of the present distress. Hey, if you need to get up and move and, and just get out of town, like you're free to do that. You're, it's, more, you're, it's easier to do that. Persecution was on its way. But the, here the second reason he says is because the time has been shortened. That is the time of our life on earth, the present age. I think if Jesus said in Matthew 24, for this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. The call again is to be ready. That is, we are to live our lives in such a way that Jesus could come back at any time. And Paul here is exhorting the believers that all of the plans that they have for their lives, for their future, should all be formed around that time is short. Around the the point of view that the time that we've been given is short. David would say in Psalm 39, I love David. He says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Think of Moses wrote Psalm 90. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The point here is this, the time that you and I have been given is short, especially in reference to opportunities. The time to serve Jesus is short and we are called to live for him in every circumstance in our lives. Paul would write to to the Ephesians and, and say this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And again, Paul is writing in a culture where persecution was becoming a very real thing and Paul here is writing about the brevity of life. In the midst of persecution, and I think for you and I here in 2022, we are blessed, so blessed to live in one of the greatest countries known to mankind, are we not? We're spoiled. Amazing freedoms and opportunities. We have zero persecution. Let's be real about that, okay? It might be coming, but we have zero persecution about our faith. The question is then, how are we spending our time? The time, the little time that we've been given to steward in this life. Some of us will get 50 years. Some of us will get 90 years. Some of us, not that long. How are you stewarding it? How am I stewarding it? How are we investing it? Sometimes I I ask older men, I said, uh, we'll go out to coffee. And one of my questions that I have for them is, hey, do you have any regrets in life? Like what as a younger guy, when you were young, like, do you have any regrets about what you did in life? And more times than not, they tell me that the older that they get, the quicker time seems to fly by. You guys kind of relate to that? I'm not super old yet. I'm kind of in my 30s right now. But I've already started to sense that. When you're young, when you're in your teens, when you're before your teens, like time just stands still. And I told you I wanted to be 23 last week. I'm like, I just can't wait to be 23. And then post-23, I'm like, time is just flying by. And what they've told me in their regrets is that they regret not having taken advantage of their youth to fully serve Jesus and to be serious about him in their youth. When they're full of strength and full of energy, and now that they're older, they have 10, 20 years left, Lord willing, and now they're at this place that they're they're desiring, God, how do you want to use me now? I really want to be fully in, which is amazing, They see that they only have a little time left and they want to use it well. And I believe it's God's heart for those of you that are younger here this morning, that we would learn from that, that we would live our lives for Jesus fully today, that we would take captive, that we would take the opportunities that he gives us today and serve Jesus with our lives, with our youth and with our strength and our energy that he has given us. Let's live with no regrets so that when we're 70, when we're 80 years old, we can't live, look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have patterned my life more after Jesus. I wish I would have done this and that. Let's learn from that. For those of you that are younger this morning, to ask the Lord, and this is like the wisdom from the Psalms, Lord, teach us to number our days. Give us that perspective so that we can live fully for you. That's the heart of God for you. And look at the end the, of the verse 28. He says, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, this is a super confusing verse. <laughs> we were like, Paul, you just said like marriage is for life and, and like don't, don't leave that state. And now he's like, you should live as though you have no wife. Like what is he saying here? What he's not encouraging, let's start there is the husbands to ignore their wives and to drop their spouses, to forget all about their responsibilities, even in the name of ministry. Paul is not saying, guys, you know the days are evil. You know that time is short. Serve the Lord, even if you're married. Just serve him so much and live your life in such a way like you were never married. Listen, Paul is not giving men or women permission to leave their homes for 80 hours a week, neglecting their family again, even in the name of ministry. And listen, I have been so guilty of this. I've viewed this verse and taken this, his heart completely out of context. Like, listen, I love being a pastor. Like, I love it. It is the, it is the great joy and privilege of my life is to be called to do what I do. I love it. And at times I've been accused of being a workaholic. <laughs> like sometimes I'm just I'm all in seven days a week. And on Mondays, my day off, it is so hard to put down the cell phone I'm like, but what if there's a prayer request that comes in? Or what if, you know, what if someone texts me? And so, like, my phone's always, like, in arm's reach. And, um, and Mary, she's like, hey, it's your day off. Like, be focused on the family and all of these things. And when she, like, goes on an errand or she's, like, in the bathroom, I'm, like, pulling out the phone, I'm checking my email. Like, you know, like, this is... <laughs> it's so easy for me. I'm just going to confess this morning that I forget so often that my family is my first ministry. And, And husbands and fathers, your family is your first ministry. And when I communicate my heart here and Paul's heart here about, you know, what are you spending your time? Like serve the Lord, serve the Lord. I'm not saying do it at the church building seven days a week. Serve the Lord where you're at, even in your own home. Be fully about Jesus in your own home. Now, I had um, a good example. My dad, he's a a pastor of a church. And so I grew up kind of as a church kid, a pastor's kid. And I know we get a bad rap sometimes. But um, my dad was great. And... He, instead of, you know, because he knew the demands of ministry. We had a smaller church, and so we had less staff. And, you know, my dad was just always there, hard to serve. Great example. But what he did is he always just brought our whole family with him. He's like, we, we learned to do ministry together as a family. I remember he would go to church, 6 a.m., he would bring me with him. And I got to see his heart for ministry. When it was his days, often he did get that one once a month call or whatever. He was like, family, let's hop in the car, we'll grab Slurpees or whatever it was, and we'll go and, and meet the need together as a family. So I just appreciate his example. He didn't neglect us. He didn't be like, oh, kids, you stay home. Wife, you stay home. I'm gonna go do the important ministry now, even on my day off. And he's like, let's do this. Let's serve Jesus. Jesus together. I love that. And so, again, what Paul is saying is that husbands, they shouldn't focus 100% on their marriage, if that's just the end of, like, goal of their lives, at the expense of spiritual and eternal values. But again, husbands should focus on Jesus first. Because when we're truly, men, when we're truly falling in love with Jesus, not ministry. That's what I have to remember. Jesus and ministry are two separate things. When we're falling in love with Jesus, guess what? We're going to naturally love our wives more. I almost said lives. <laughs> Hopefully we'll love our lives less. Like, you know? But when we're falling in love with Jesus, we're going to be, men, we're going to be better dads. When we're falling in love with Jesus, we're going to be better employees, better co workers, better neighbors. And how you and I serve the Lord and heed what He is calling you to do, listen, should be the main goal of your life. What has He called you? What season of life are you in? Are you a, a husband, a faithful husband, a faithful dad? Do that unto the Lord. Time is short, life is short. Verse 30, and those who weep as though they should not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Paul is saying there's more to life even than emotional experiences. Weeping, rejoicing, having possession, that's what he's saying here. All these things should not get in the way of following after Jesus. He says, for those who weep, Paul's saying, They should weep as though they don't. In other words, what he's saying is this. The causes of weeping in this life will soon be over. And the Bible tells us that one day God will wipe, Revelation 21, it's one of my favorite chapters, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so he doesn't say that we can't weep or we shouldn't weep. But if you do, we are to weep as though we weep not. In other words, we are to be people who are filled with hope and joy even in the midst of sorrow, that there's coming a day that God will make right every wrong. And as his people, we are looking forward to that day. Amen. Amen. He says, for those who rejoice, we're to rejoice fully in who God is and what Jesus has done for you. If you rejoice only in earthly pleasures, listen, we all know they can be taken away from you. But what can't be taken away from you is what? Salvation, this relationship that, we, that Jesus has given us with the Father. And then he says to those who buy, listen, you can't go through life without needing to purchase things. But the call for you and I is to not set our hearts upon earthly things. Again, he's saying life is short, time is short. You can't be concerned with all of these things. Like I need the new this and the new that. I gotta get the new iPhone and the PlayStation 10 and the new boat or whatever it is. He says seek first. The call is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The world, listen, if you don't know this, the world is passing away, but the kingdom of God is forever. Let me ask you, what kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you? Are you living for a temporal kingdom or an eternal kingdom? And Paul says in verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. Let me just pause there. How many of us, if we're honest, are just filled with cares and concerns and stress and anxiety because of things happening in our life or our world? So many And Paul knows so often that we can be robbed of our joy when we're filled with these cares. And so his heart is, I want you to be free from concern, free from care. He goes on to verse 32. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of this world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned, again, notice that word, about the things of the Lord. And she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is, again, concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, Paul is not, this is not a condemnation on married couples as if you can't be married and serve the Lord. I feel like in my personal life, I, I can serve the Lord better. I love to do ministry with my wife. Like, I think so. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that if you're married, then you're worldly. If you're single, you're spiritual. Um, But here's what he's saying that being single, being married, serving the Lord, and those are two completely different things. And Paul is saying that there's a different type of responsibility, again, that goes with marriage. There's a different responsibility. Each one of us here in this room, I don't know what your status is in life, but each one of us has a calling by God to serve him with our whole lives. That is one thing that is unmistakable. You are called, I don't care who you are, how old you are, how young you are, what your background is, you are called by God to serve him faithfully with your lives, not part of your lives, not just on Sundays, but your whole lives. And we are called to steward that calling. For some of you, remaining single will allow you to fulfill that calling better. That's amazing. For those of you who are married, marriage will allow you to fulfill that calling better. What was grieving to me this week when I was going through this is just thinking upon the stories of like um, guys like John Wesley. You guys know anything about John Wesley, the founder of Methodists? Um, Felt the pressure as a young guy to get married. He got married, and he and his wife literally hated each other. And they were miserable, and she eventually left him, and they got divorced. This is John Wesley. God used John Wesley in mighty ways. George Whitfield, famous evangelist, often left his wife for weeks and months on end in the name of ministry. I think of William Carey, the famous missionary, He has a tarnished missionary career because of the sacrifices and demands that he made on his wife, Dorothy, who eventually lost her mind. Again, Paul is saying there is a different type of responsibility that comes with being married. You have different priorities. You better have different priorities. And to be without concern in this regard means um, you're a single person. You're free to do whatever the Lord has called you to do. You want to move to Africa and serve Jesus? You can. You just tell your boss, give two weeks notice, and you're gone. You're married, and you approach your wife or your husband say, I'm going to Africa. They're like, uh-uh, no, we're not. Like, I need, like, three years to pray about this. <laughs> you got to sell your house. You got to, you know, get your finances in order, all of those things. But again, as a single person, you're you're free to fully devote your time to the Lord. You don't have the, the, the pressures and the responsibility. You have responsibilities, but not the same ones that a married person has. And so, this morning, if you're single, I would just challenge you and encourage you to serve. Serve the Lord with your life. And for those of you that are, keep on doing it. You're an inspiration. Take this time in your life to serve God in a way that you would be unable to serve him if you were married. That is an amazing call. Steward your singleness. Verse 35, he says, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the heart. That's the heart that Paul had for the believers in Corinth. David Gutzik said this, for Paul, the most important thing in life was not romantic love, but pleasing God. Just pleasing God, I love that. And again, he knew that he could please God better by remaining single. But he also knew that someone else might be able to please the Lord better if they were married. Listen, there are different times and seasons in life, and for the believer, we have the unique ability to capitalize on each one. So wherever you're at, serve the Lord. Every person has a different calling. As we read last week in Philippians 4, Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to there be content. I know how to live with much. I know how to live with little. Maybe the call is just being content this morning wherever you're at. Paul says, I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in that situation. The Lord wants to bless me with much. I can, I can do all things through him there. If, the, if he, if he, if he tries to, wants to send me down a season of poverty and just hardship, like he'll strengthen me and use me there. Whatever state you're in, the call is to be content. Lord, I'm here for you. Like last week, I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. Verse 36, but if any man thinks that he is acting becomingly towards his virgin daughter. Well, let me let me just stop right there because certain translations... Um, word this differently. Paul is not referring to something indecent or immoral happening here, okay? Paul is speaking to the father's responsibility in taking care of his daughter, especially in light of the ancient culture that he's writing in. He says, if she is past her youth and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. Again, right now, Paul is responding to a specific question that was written to him by this church, and here he's answering them. They probably asked, like, hey, Paul, is it a sin to let your daughter get married and be someone else's responsibility, especially in the culture, with all of the pressures of life that you've been talking about? Like, is that okay? And Paul's answer is, it's not a sin. Let him get married. But he he goes on, he says in verse 37, but he who stands firm in his heart being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. What Paul is saying that he who stands firm, um, he's referring to, again, the father of a potential bride, meaning he knows what is right in his emotions and in his spirit. And what Paul is encouraging fathers to do is to exercise godly decision-making authority. Not selfish, not self-seeking, but godly decision-making authority. If your daughter comes to you with a good, godly man and brings you know, him to you yeah, as a dad, Dad, this is a great guy. He loves the Lord. Like I really like him. I hope you like him too. Listen, the call for us as dads, as much as we might hate that day... Put the shotgun down (laughs) just for a moment. Maybe you might need to pick it up. I don't know. But as dads, listen, as your daughter's spiritual leader, one day that's going to be me. My daughter's 12, and I'm like not looking forward to that day. But as her spiritual leader, her spiritual covering in this season of her life, dads, pray with your daughters about that guy. Pray with them. Lord, is this a good man for her? And then bless them together. Don't hold her back. Maybe that's a word for you this morning. But again, in the ancient culture in which Paul is writing this, if a guy, the dad has a little bit more authority, if a guy is interested, you know, in, in his daughter and he's up to no good and you dads know what that means. He just has no good motives. Paul's saying, step in with grace. Without the shotgun, maybe, and address him, address her out of love, out of protection for your daughter. Again, the goal of Paul, what Paul is saying is the goal of life is to serve Jesus. And so as dads, we have the responsibility to lead our kids in this, to exemplify this to our kids, that this is what life is all about. So when your kids are young, like we talk about with all my kids, we we're always talking about future spouses and what are good qualities that they should one day be looking forward into a, into a spouse. Have those conversations with your kids if you have kids in the home. But for you, exemplify what it looks like, dads, to be a good father to be a good man who faithfully loves the Lord and leads his family. Because listen, your kids, their flesh will always wanna sleep in on Sunday mornings. Their flesh will always wanna play video games late into the night on Saturday night to be zombies Sunday morning. Lead them. Show them what life is all about. Encourage your son. Maybe encourage your daughter. Son, is this a relationship that you're, that's gonna allow you to serve Jesus better? Isn't that the goal of life? The goal of life is not to just, you know, have the American dream, have a beautiful wife or a, a stunning husband and have kids and have the white picket. That's not the goal. The goal is to serve Jesus. Daughter, is this guy in your life, is he going to allow you and lead you to serve him more fully? Dads, we have this responsibility. And Paul says, this role that you play for your daughter, he says, you do well. You do well. Look at verse 38. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. For Paul, the choice between married and single was not the choice of good and bad, but between better and best. And again, for him, in light of the present circumstances, he regarded singleness as best. Again, in his culture, in his day, it would be a better choice Opportunity and usage of your time for the gospel's sake. If you remain, verse thirty-nine. A wife—he's kind of switching gears here. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Again, we've talked about this. If you weren't here a a couple weeks ago, we talked about divorce. We even talked about remarriage. I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back to the podcast app or the church website and and check it out. But again, Paul's just addressing, hey, if your husband dies, your wife dies, um, you are free to be married But in verse 40. But in my opinion, you'd be happier, she would be happier if she remains as she is, unmarried. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So again, he's saying if for a woman that's not married or her husband's passed away, it's better if, again, the heart is to fully serve Jesus. Like, I want you to know that. Like, that is the heart this morning. The goal of your life is to serve Jesus. If you can do that as a single person, you're not a second-class citizen. Do it. You've been gifted. Serve him with your lives. If you can do that better as a married man or a married woman, serve the Lord. Whatever you do, serve Jesus. Seek the Lord first. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness. Why? Because time is short. Time is short. The Bible says in the book of James that life is but a vapor. It's here today. It's like a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And your time being single this morning is short. You might not feel like that, but it's short. Your time being married is short. The time that we've been given On earth, in this life, to serve Jesus is short. So, my prayer is that we would be reminded, whether again you're single, married, somewhere in between, that we're to seek the Lord, that we're to know in our hearts exactly what God has called us to do, and we're to do it. We're to do it unto the Lord, to honor him in everything. To honor him in everything. What are you seeking? You might be seeking things other than the Lord. The call this morning is, Lord, I need to seek you. What are you spending your time doing? There's a good chance that whatever it is you're spending your time doing, that's the thing that you're seeking. And if, it's, if you're not spending your time in the word of God and, and just being available to the things of God, it's probably because you're not seeking God call would be to seek the Lord. May we be people who seek the Lord first in all we do, redeeming the time that we've been given. Amen. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.